Welcome to Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice Podcast, a discussion of timely issues facing retirement plan sponsors, featuring the firsthand insights and experiences from our clients who are working through the same daily battles faced by most plan sponsors today. I'm Joe Topp, Vice President, Investment Consulting Services. Today, we're excited to have joining us representatives from Marquette University's Retirement Plan Committee to discuss the important steps they've taken to improve their plan governance documents and their administrative procedures. We're pleased today to welcome two of Marquette's senior leaders, Claudia Page, Vice President for Human Resources, and Jessica Franken, Associate General Counsel. Joining me from Francis Investment Council is Mike Francis, president and co-founder of the firm, and Kevin Scow from our Minneapolis office. Both Kevin and Mike have been consulting to qualified retirement plan sponsors for over 25 years. As background for our listeners, Marquette University is a Catholic and Jesuit university. It's home to over 11,000 undergraduate and graduate students located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Their 403B plan covers over 4,200 current and former employees, and they've enjoyed a decades-long relationship with their current record-keeping provider. Jessica, as legal counsel to the university's retirement plan committee, what prompted you to encourage the committee to seriously consider adding an independent advisor to the oversight process? Well, it was a couple of things. First, I was just joining the retirement plan committee. And so I was trying to gain an understanding of where the committee was, what they had done, how their process worked. And in the course of getting up to speed, I realized that some of the documents and the what I think of as the governance and housekeeping for the committee really hadn't been updated in a, quite some time, probably four or five years. And I happen to think that it's important to sharpen the saw from time to time and to look at those things and make sure that they're current, that they reflect the actual practices of the committee, but also that they have kept pace with changes in the law and best practices. So that was really what launched my interest. And I also discovered amongst the notes of my predecessor that she had been having conversations with you specifically, Joe, to talk about where Marquette was. And she had started the process of updating those documents with the committee already. So I leapt in and reached out and we took it from there. Sharpening the saw, I like that term. And it all began with, I believe you sat down and we, we went through a formal fiduciary ERISA training process that we use with all clients. How did you find that beneficial? Well, I was, as a lawyer, familiar with ERISA and familiar with fiduciary responsibilities and obligations, but I think having a focused training for somebody who sits on a retirement plan committee is super useful. So for me, it was understanding and appreciating the training that you all provided and seeing what that training would do for the committee. There had been fiduciary training for the committee members in the past. However, there were some new members, there's always shift over time. And so it's important to go back, look, make sure that everybody's had the benefit of that kind of training. So Mike, you've been in this space for many years and worked with a bunch of different organizations and, and committee structures. What's your observation of areas that are typically missing or underappreciated when it comes to the governance documents? 
It goes without saying that there's always turnover in every organization. And with organizational turnover, oftentimes duties to keep governance documents up to date kind of slip through the cracks. It's very, very common. We see it all the time. In fact, it's probably more common than someone who is, who's been diligently keeping up on that. So when we first sat down with Marquette and had some of those conversations, we weren't all that surprised or shocked that some of the governance documents had gotten a little stale and needed some updating. So I think that's something we see quite often in the industry. With higher ed, sometimes I think there are further issues that come with that. And for so many decades, higher ed approached the retirement plan benefit very much with a hands-off kind of attitude. The 403B was not subject to ERISA, and it was essentially left to the end user to pick their own platform, et cetera. And you know, I think with all good intention, the, the industry had had kind of a hands-off approach to the higher ed and how they handled the retirement benefit. And that attitude was very, very prevalent up until just the last decade or so. So I think higher ed has been a little disadvantaged in that way and really needs to work a little extra hard to kind of catch up with the industry. So Jessica, the, the two documents that received the most attention was the charter and then the plan's investment policy statement. What were some of the highlights to the outcomes, reworking and close evaluation of those documents? Well, I think one of the big things was in updating our charter, we were able to move away from what had been more of a individuals named within the charter process and replaced individuals with titles and created the mechanism for people to be replaced smoothly without undue fuss. So making sure that a succession approach was worked into the charter was significant for us and very helpful. The investment plan or investment policy update was useful because we were able to ensure that we really were looking at all of the right things and that we had aligned our current approach with what has really evolved in the market to be best practice. So I think in both cases, knowing that we had documents that aligned with best practices and current thinking and avoided the pitfalls that show up from time to time in litigation in this space was a huge benefit to us. And Mike, there were some meaningful changes to some of the tenants of the investment policy statement, knowing that Marquette had internal investment expertise and oversight. What were you able to bring that was new or added to, to those documents? Well, a couple of things that we suggested specifically in this situation, we suggested adding to the policy a little more about the process in terms of who was responsible for what. Part of that's in the charter, but also the investment policy itself is oftentimes the document that new committee members look at. And so we suggested and Marquette agreed that it made sense to add some more clear language about, okay, here's what the Board of Trustees is responsible for. Here's what the investment committee is responsible for. Here's what our consultant is responsible for. Here's what a record keeper and a custodian is responsible for. So laying that out, I think, was helpful, certainly to the new committee members that joined since. We also fine-tuned the investment oversight process. We added some language about what I would call risk control measures. ERISA and the courts 
have made it clear it's not enough just to look at performance. You really need to understand what's under the hood. So we added some language in the document that would raise a caution flag, a yellow flag with certain risky kinds of activities like exposure to derivatives, for example. All things that are perfectly legal under the Investment Advisors Act, but can and have gotten ERISA fiduciaries sued. And so some of those things the committee felt it would be wise to add to the policy. And then on the watch list front, again, just some fine tuning there. It is not uncommon at all to see a watch list that has been crafted by the vendor the record keeper oftentimes, we find precious little language in those documents that can be used to terminate said vendor. So a uh, lack of objectivity that is missing. So we suggested a few tweaks there that the committee has found we think helpful just to provide them with a broader, more third-party perspective on how are we doing. Claudia, Marquette has updated and fine-tuned the governance process. And you've had a few years of working with Francis for the execution of your oversight responsibilities. So what's next for Marquette? What initiatives do you see going forward as you strive to continually improve Marquette's retirement benefit? I think given the pandemic, we're all very aware of how it has impacted our participants financially. And families have been deeply, deeply impacted by this. And so when we think about how do we best support our university community, one of the things is how do we improve communication and education? How do we really actively engage employees, not to the point where they put away their money and forget about it, but rather making sure that they're doing it in a very thoughtful way that aligns with their family's goals and objectives. And so to that end, what do we do to support them in that effort? And what sort of educational and communication resources do we provide them? Because I'd really like to see increased engagement, I think, with all of our plan participants. So that is definitely a goal for the coming year. And Jessica, as you look forward, what do you see a focus and a need? Well, I would actually agree with Claudia. I think it's very important for a plan sponsor to think about the financial education of its employees. And historically, that has been something that has been important to the university and to the committee. So one of the things that we are exploring is how to best do that, because there are a variety of models out there, right? Record keepers, they'll offer services along those lines. Some are part of the plan. Some are external to the plan. There are consultants that provide that kind of benefit to employees, general financial consulting. There are groups like Francis Investment Council that provide that kind of consulting with a fiduciary relationship to the employee that they're advising. And not everybody provides it that way. So there's a lot for the committee to chew on and to evaluate. There are a variety of approaches that the committee could choose to take, but I see that as one of our big opportunities and areas of evaluation over the next, I'd say, year or so. Mike, given the importance of the communication and information made available to participants, how does a firm like Francis and the advisor, what is their role in the delivery of or complementing the education? Yeah, I think first and foremost, a role of an organization like ours is to make the plan sponsor aware of what's out there and what's going on. Plan sponsors have a significant amount of latitude in this area. 
in terms of how much information they are going to provide and make available to participants. Um, the duty to educate has been, you know, this is an issue that's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has held that participant education is a fiduciary duty under ERISA, and that fiduciaries have a duty to do two things. One, to make sure the information provided is complete. In other words, you can't give half the story or just tell part of what's going on. You gotta lay it all out there. Employees need to have all of the information. And secondly, that the information provided is accurate. And so it has to be complete. It has to be accurate. And the litigation in the industry in this area is primarily focused on the second area, the accuracy. In other words, are participants getting misleading information, perhaps by an advisor who is financially motivated to see a certain kind of decision be reached by a participant. And so it's those conflicts of interest that ERISA was really founded upon, you know, thank you, Jimmy Hoffa, to get employees and plan participants the best information they can get. And, and as a plan sponsor, we tell everybody who will listen that you really do have a duty to evaluate the advisor that you're putting in front of your participants, because as Jessica mentioned, there's all different kinds of models out there. There are advisors out there that will come in for free and talk to groups of employees, but not as a fiduciary. And they do it for free because clearly they believe they can get business out of those conversations. And so from a plan sponsor point of view, obviously the cost is very attractive, but you have to ask yourself, well, what kind of information are participants getting? And the flip side is organizations that will offer fiduciary level, ERISA fiduciary advice, meaning that the recommendations they provide do not and cannot enrich the advisor in any way, shape, or form. So those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. And plan sponsors need to be, in our experience, at least more diligent in making that evaluation and deciding this is what we think is best for our employees and at least engaging in the investigation, the discussion, and then ultimately the decision. So Kevin, Claudia mentioned that as part of the operational review, and subsequently, there's a lot of back and forth with reviewing documents, communication pieces generated by the record keeper distributed to participants. What role and where within that operational review does an evaluation or at least an understanding of communication role of the record keeper come in? An essential part of the operational audit is to understand what communication is being prepared and is required to be distributed and who owns distributing it. Many record keepers have this function within their capabilities and their service agreements to send out required notices, such as your safe harbor, your fee disclosure, potentially any other amendments or SMNs that need to be sent out throughout the year. But it's essential to understand what is being done and the fact that it is being sent out. So we itemize and document and then have a discussion with the record keeper to essentially confirm that this information is being distributed and whom it's being distributed to. Secondly, there is anecdotal or marketing type information that is being sent out. Many times the record keeper will send out targeted notices or messages on load savers or asset allocation or diversification just to encourage engagement from the employee and the participant. It's also important to understand that that information is being done and that it's being sent out into who it's going to so that we can accurately document and understand the activities that are being presented and put in front of the employees and report that to the committee. 
I would add that just even through the process of the operational audit and talking about communication like this, record keepers do offer some pre-made brochures and things that you can send to your employee population. And for the most part, they're pretty basic, you know, like you should have extra security on your password and maybe dual authentication, things like that. But other things, which on the surface might be just like, hey, it's time to maybe look at your elections and your balance of your portfolio, and then how they might steer you to a particular advisor. And again, the difference between having a fiduciary and someone who might not be a fiduciary is not immediately clear. And I just think, again, that perhaps in the past or perhaps with other folks, when they take these free, and Mike, what you said about the price is right, you know, it's free, but it's not without really a cost. And so it's helped, I think, our operational team be much more discerning about what are those brochures? What is the content? What is it advising people to do? How is it steering people? So I think that that has been a key thing that we've gained over this time as well. In a relatively short period of time, Marquette's made some meaningful changes to the Employee Retirement Act. Jessica and Claudia, as you reflect on these accomplishments, what wisdom would you share with your peers at educational institutions who are tasked with oversight and the operation of their benefit? I think I would start by talking with my peers at other institutions and encouraging them to be sure that they have a partner like Francis Investment Council available and involved. There are some excellent record keepers out there, and this is not to take anything away from them at all. What they do is an excellent job, and it's an essential part of running a 403B plan. But they are not sitting in a fiduciary role for the most part. And that is a key distinction. When you have a party that is working with you that actually undertakes that fiduciary relationship to the participants, to the plan itself, then you know that what you're hearing has to be in the best interests of the plan and of the participants. And that's hugely important. And I would encourage people not to overlook that aspect of a relationship like the relationship that we have with Francis Investment Council. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also add that, at least from our board of trustees, they need the comfort that the RPC, that we have it that we're doing our due diligence, that we have an eye on our fiduciary duties, that we exercise discipline, that we can do everything and we consider everything from those conversations with Francis on the quarterly investment reviews, that we have guiding documents to help inform and monitor performance. And on the flip side of that, we also have the operational backing to make sure that we're running it technically correctly as well. We have to be doing that right, but the board has to know that we've got it and that we're doing it right as well. And again, having come into Marquette University at a time where the conversations were just at the point where we were doing the RFP for a partner, I was hugely relieved to know that we were about to have a partner. And then when I found out it was Francis, having heard of Francis from my previous employer, I was really, really pleased that we would have that partnership because that's really what this is. It is a partnership and toward that same goal to be doing the best for our plan participants. Mike, a lot of talk about the process and the incremental steps to slowly but meaningfully improve the overall benefit. What significance and importance to a committee rests in that? Well, process is everything. And Woodfield versus Cohen, 1988 landmark case, stands for the proposition that the result doesn't mean a thing. It's all about the process that led 
to the result. And to Jessica and Claudia and all of the retirement plan committee's credit, they recognize that and are very diligent in coming together. This is a busy group of people, and there's probably eight of them that get together every quarter, including the organization CFO and chief investment officer, a number of folks in finance and HR. And every 90 days, they are coming together to talk about benefit, and whether it be the administrative issues that maybe an audit has turned up, or maybe it's an investment issue because some funds underperforming, or maybe there's new share class available that people need to be aware of, or maybe it's on the regulatory side and the rules of the game continue to change with the Secure Act and the CARES Act, et cetera. And so these folks are all busy running a university. And if they don't actually carve out some time every 90 days to think and look at these issues, it's not going to happen. So I think Marquette's a great example of an organization that has committed not only its best people, but their time to taking this role very, very seriously. And we're proud to be part of the team. Thanks, Mike. So as we wrap up this edition of Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice Podcast, one reoccurring theme in today's discussion has been partnership. For Marquette, that partnership has included a quality record-keeping organization and an independent investment advisor. I know Mike and Kevin joined me in thanking our guests today, Claudia Page and Jessica Franken from Marquette University. Watch for the continuation of this discussion with Marquette in an upcoming podcast. There, we'll explore the strategies they employed to attain meaningful cost reductions in the administration of their plan. For more information on Francis Investment Council and how we might assist in your plan oversight process, please visit our website, www.francisinvco.com. We thank you for listening today. Please visit other editions of our Fiduciary Advice Podcast as we discuss a range of issues facing retirement plan sponsors. Please enjoy your day.